Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith, here at Home Headquarters in Atlanta. Haven't been in the studio in so long, I don't even remember how to get there. But I'm dealing with the fate that everybody else is uh, as we head into the NBA draft, uh, a monumental night that'll be conducted in a way that, that nobody has really seen ever, a virtual draft. And today's guest on the podcast is one of the people that'll be the linchpin to that coverage, um, Andy Katz. Turner Sports colleague. You know him from all of his college basketball coverage. He's been a part of the draft coverage at NBA TV. He will be this year. In fact, we're going to be doing a mock draft, I believe, leading up to Wednesday's draft, Andy. So this is my opportunity to pick the brain of the competition to see if I can glean any insights off what you might be you know, thinking about doing in next week's mock draft, man. How are you? Uh, good. Just hanging in there. Been, uh, a basement dweller for quite a time um, in my basement studio. Credit Turner Sports for helping me. Uh, actually, I was very lucky. They they put this in in January. Smart. Before we knew there was a pandemic. <laughs> and uh, I've used it extensively since then. It took me the better part of eight months to get this thing set up in my house with the backdrop and everything else. I've I've run through quite a few backgrounds, trust me. My, my Room Raiders uh, cred is up there. In all my years covering colleges and then the NBA for the past 20 years. I can't remember a stranger lead up to an NBA draft. Um, normally there's so much more time to get to know these players, to, to kind of dig into the different stories. We have the conference season, conference tournaments, March madness, all this time to really get comfortable with these prospects. And that has evaporated. Now it's all been about zoom calls, watching tape, and trying to size up the players in this draft. For you, I would imagine it's been just as difficult um, compared to your normal way of preparing for the draft. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, we didn't know when it was going to be. The draft date kept changing. Uh, If you remember, there was at one point, I never believed it, but, you know, one point we're thinking, okay, maybe it'll be the same date, you know, early on in the pandemic. Was it going to be just in June and just have the draft, even though the NBA season was on hold? So then it moved from, is it going to be somewhere in July, then August, then September, then October? Actually, there was a date in October. Uh, and then that got moved to November uh, after the NBA concluded its uh, bubble season and its championship. So right off the bat, that's crazy because we've never obviously had it at this time of the year. It's never been a lead-in to the college basketball season. And if everything starts on time with the NBA, essentially – uh, a month lead into the NBA season. So these college players that get drafted, first off, they had no combine. Uh, I'm not getting virtual, but whatever. They, they had no real combine. <laughs> they had no real workouts. All interviews were virtual. They also will have no summer league. Yeah. So uh, I think all these rookies are going to get 
basically a honeymoon because how can you judge them? There may be no G League. We don't know, but it doesn't look good. So, you know, even the players that are not locks, they're missing out on that opportunity to get really important quality game time at the professional level this season. So really this class could end up being almost like two years behind. We cannot judge this rookie class. You know, I would argue maybe till, you know, 22, 23, because it's, it's just not fair because they're, they're missing out on so many of the normal calendar items that help them prepare for the NBA season. Yeah. We're, we're always leaning hard, of course, on, the opinions and evaluations of, of the college coaches, of NBA scouts and personnel. What's been the sense that you've gathered? And I know you talk to as many college coaches as, as anybody in the business on how they've evaluated these same players when you've had almost a calendar year with the names that we know um, that would be involved in this draft. When you've had so much time without competitive basketball being played. I don't, I don't even know how they would characterize or evaluate their own guys. Some of these college coaches, you know, Tyrese Halliburton looked great when he was playing, but how do you gauge that eight months in terms of what he's done or has he grown or. Well, and I'll give you another example uh, for NBA TV. We talked to uh, Penny Hardaway uh, for one of the get to know pieces on James Weissman. He played three games. You know, had he played even a full regular season, I personally think he'd be the number one pick. Really? Yes, I do. But he probably won't be um, because there's such a small resume, if you will, uh, you know, sample size to look at. But had he played a full regular season, been in the NCAA tournament, and been allowed to sort of be dominant, you know, then I think he would have proven that, okay, yeah, he's not a true traditional like center but he's a he's an impressive big uh that can score rim protect and those always you know are the type of player that usually goes one or two uh if they're good enough so i I actually think he would be the number one pick but we don't know because he barely played and so because of that that's another aspect of this draft that's going to be interesting um to see where he falls and then three years from now if he lives up to his potential, oh, you know, they should have taken him one. Well, at the time, how do you judge it? So many people get into this pre-draft process and they get caught up in their own. I look at it and I evaluate what the team needs are. I I never look at it from team need because so rarely do NBA teams go into a draft and go, you know, we're really lousy at small forward. So we got to figure out who's the best small forward and we'll take him at this spot no matter what. Teams get into this thing and it's about talent and they're looking at projections and upside. When you look at the, your own idea of where these players fit, and I've seen any different number of rankings of guys stack up. Um, there hasn't been a, a consensus number one guy. We've heard Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball. Um, we've heard some people say Wiseman. I mean, there's, there's been kind of a rotating list of players in that top group. Where do they stack up for you in terms of what you think their projections might be at the next level? Yeah, I, I would say, Sikru, that, that um, the number one pick might be the one position or player that because there's so much pressure to play that player, you may say, okay, you know, what does that team need? Um, after that, I agree with you. 
because if a team had taken, you know, a point guard last year, and, and that's the starting point guard, just whatever, Team X, you know, are you going to take LaMelo Ball? Now, if he is clearly the best player, yes, you take him and you deal with that and you deal with competition. But if, you know, if you're not quite sure if he's better than the player you have or uh, if he's clearly not the consensus one, then maybe you don't. But I think if, the, if there's a position that you desperately need and you are sold that this is the best player and the best player at this position, at one, I see it. After that, I don't. Yeah. In my mind's eye, and I've seen them all play, um, some in person, some not. And maybe this is me dating myself, Andy, but I have a hard time passing up a guy like Wiseman. Like, I, I keep feeling nervous that these teams are going to – if they if they get on to the drafting and, you know, say let's say Anthony Edwards comes off first and the Warriors are sitting there too, and they've got all these trade rumors floating around, which may or may not have any basis in reality – I always feel nervous leaving a big man. Even in today's redefined NBA, we're we're talking about positionless basketball or small ball this. I don't know how I would leave a seven footer with with Wiseman's skill and and athleticism package on the board. I couldn't do it. I, I I'd probably get fired as a GM with that attitude, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, that's why I would take him one. My favorite player. I don't care what year he is. Um, in this draft, I think he's a potential star, and that's Obi Toppin. Really? Mm, interesting. I think he fits today's NBA. Yeah. You know, obviously, he's a highlight film uh, every time he goes out on the floor. He's an unbelievable person, so high character. You know he works his tail off because nothing's given to him. He was not this good when he came out of high school. wasn't eligible when he came out of high school. So he had to earn this. And to me, that speaks volumes, okay? Nothing was handed to this young man. He said, okay, I got to become this great player. And then, you know, he took a team that we don't normally – I mean, yes, they're a good program, and they usually – you know, they, they've had their runs in the NCAA tournament. But he had Dayton as a number one seed. You know, we didn't see the tournament, but they were going to be a number one seed. He carried that team. He did it in an exemplary fashion. I'm sure he interviewed exceptionally well. And uh, I think if he drops, and I'm looking here on NBA.com, uh, you know, where sort of it's almost like the poll of polls here. Yeah, it's a consensus mock draft. <laughs> and, you know, if he were to fall like, to the Cavs at five, I think that's a steal. Yeah. Because I think he could end up being an absolute star. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. You know, I did something for NBA.com recently where I went back and looked at the past 20 drafts. And we pulled the best player of each draft out. Like who now, you know, when you look up these past 20 drafts, who's the best player from that draft? And I can't tell you how many times that best player was a guy like you're talking about. Giannis, you know, Kawhi Leonard. You know, you start looking at some of these guys who weren't McDonald's All-Americans, didn't have kind of that red carpet ride to the draft. They end up having the work ethic, the kind of drive – um, you know, the, the mentality that it takes to be a talented player, but then get to the NBA and turn into a worker and, and be, become so proficient at the craft that they elevate to that next level. So it's the thing about this outside of, you know, LeBron and ADs, take them mm -hmm. out of the mix. Think about the other stars of the playoffs and where they were in the draft. Yeah. You know, whether it's uh, the heat with 
Butler and Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo from the Heat. Um, you know, if we're going with the Nuggets, Jokic and Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. The Mavs with Luka. Even someone like um, who I think is was the MVP of the Celtics, for example, was Marcus Smart in my mind in terms of, you know, their most important player. Right. right. He wasn't a top five pick. Um, and, and so I think we're going to see players like that and I'll, I'll give you another one. You know, I mean, Onyeke Okongwu. Yeah. I, I love him. I, I think he could end up in, if he is in the back part of the lottery, I think that's another big time steal. Um, and because he's an immense talent. And and I, you know, obviously, you know this. I, I talk to these players all the time throughout the course of the entire year. Mm-hmm. And I've been so impressed with so many of these, these guys. And he's another one that I've interviewed multiple times like Toppin. Just very impressive that I think these teams, because character matters. You know, yes. I mean, uh, think about the bubble, okay? The teams that had high character were able to deal with all those distractions. Who knows what's going to happen this year and how they're all going to have to deal with everything. You don't want to deal with just crap off the court. And right. You right. want to grab someone, you know, who, who you can count on. And, and I'll tell you this, that's the other thing about this draft. With no G League, a lot of these players are probably going to be on an – I would imagine there's going to be maybe an expanded roster um, because you don't know if someone tests positive and all that. And so we may need to see more of that. Um, maybe they're going to carry 17 uh, to just, you know, make sure that they have enough players to play every time. And so, you know, there may be more opportunities for these players and you want to be able to count on them. You mentioned a guy like Onyeka Okongwu, who I don't even know if people realize he played at the same high school as, as the ball brothers. And, you know, if, if you do your research and I tell people all the time, if you cover the NBA and you don't know what's going on in high school and grassroots basketball, you're probably not really covering the league properly because those same players you see four or five years ago are the ones that are going to be populating the league. We get a relatively early view these days about who are the NBA level talents and when they're, wherever they're playing around the world, we know about them at an early enough age where you should be doing some homework. I was struck, Andy, and I have been, have been so the past few years at how many guys have connective tissue. You interview them all, you know them. It stuns me how much these guys have seen each other in competitive environments before they get to the NBA level. Um, in your discussions with some of these players, do they seem more advanced just in terms of their understanding of the process and what the, this next step and transition entails. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a great point because so many of them, even this pandemic, when they were scattered back to their respective hometowns, um, you know, I, I heard a number of stories where players, whether it was in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, maybe there was one gym that was open and they had their own little pot of guys that they felt safe being around. And so maybe those two guys were able to go into the gym. And so there was a little, a lot of that going on. And so while on one side, maybe we miss some of that, you know, the tension, the animosity that we saw in the eighties, you know, between players, uh, and maybe we don't see as much as that now, there's more cooperation, but at the same time, I think that's helped the game in a different way. When I'm looking at this list of players, there's a, there's a natural drop off like there always is with in, in the lottery era where we look at the draft and go, all right, you go eight deep or you go 60 or you go however many names deep. And then it's like, I don't know. 
I, I tend to think that this is going to be an interesting draft because if there's a guy like, say, Isaac Okoro from Auburn, whose name comes up when the top group drops off, that's a pretty damn good prospect to have in, in the back end of a lottery when you're talking about a guy who can come in, play defense at the NBA level, has a, the physicality and the body required to play his position in this league and then still has a ceiling offensively. He's one of my favorite players just looking at skill set and what they've done at this point in this draft. Who else do you like? You mentioned Obi Toppin. Who else do you like as one of those guys who maybe won't be a top three pick, but certainly is somebody valuable in this draft in terms of what he could do for a team next season? So I'll give you a couple. First, at the back part of the lottery, um, because I think that's where he'll be, is someone like Kyra Lewis uh, from Alabama. Um, didn't get a lot of pub. Um, might have if they'd been able to make a run. And they were, you know, they were on that line last year. I don't think they would have made it, but, you know, if they would have made the tournament. Um, but maybe with a full SEC tournament, who knows. But I, I think he'll end up being uh, a point guard that's going to get some run. Um, and, and I'm going to say that, that – uh, you know, I think sometimes upperclassmen, and we've said this before, they sometimes get a bad rap. Uh, but, for example, last year, uh, I loved two upperclassmen that ended up on the Celtics, you know, Grant Williams and Carson Edwards, high character. And I still believe Carson Edwards will get his time. Mm. Whether it's in Boston or not, we'll wait and see. But Grant obviously, you know, got better and better and was important with that run with them. But, uh, and I say I'm a fan of, because I've really enjoyed covering him and I, and I'm rooting for him, but I, w I really hope somewhere in the second round, Miles Powell gets drafted. He's from Seton hall. He may not be the most athletic player. And I would say the same thing about Marcus Howard from Marquette, but they're ballers and they're shooters and they're scorers. And as we saw, you know, like a Tyler hero, uh, who, if you saw, he doesn't make the all airport team. Okay. If you saw him in the airport, you wouldn't say, oh, yeah, that's a high-level NBA player. Those two guys, you know, they all the knocks are on Powell, he's not as athletic. On Howard, it's, he's too short. Uh, how's he going to get a shot off? Well, you know what? He found a way to get a shot off. I don't care. If, if you can score 30, 40 points in a game at a high-level college basketball game, you got to have an opportunity. Now, whether or not you stick, we'll wait and see. But both those seniors, I think, um, have proven – that they deserve a chance. Uh, I hope they get picked in the second round, and I'd love to see them get that opportunity. Yeah, you, you mentioned Grant Williams, who's a great example of people always get on me about this too. I think you make your bones in a draft late in the first round. As, as an organization, if you can get the right type of player late in the first round of drafts in this modern era, when we see so many at, – at one point it was straight from high school, now, you know, now it's been one and done's or – international players who come over. But I always look at the Tayshaun Prince or Rajon Rondo, just to throw out some names of guys who were drafted once you get down into those late teens, early twenties. Drew Holiday, Draymond in the second round. Yeah. I mean, just there's so much work to be done outside of that spotlight you're talking about. When you look at certain organizations that have been good at that, the Spurs, the Heat, and these other but then I look at college programs where I, and this is not an endorsement of John Calipari, but if he's been right about anything, Andy, 
we've severely underrated some of those Kentucky players who weren't the Anthony Davises. You talk about Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, uh, Devin Booker, and you start running through the list of players from a program like that. Who are who are some guys you think that are aren't the household name college stars, but but players at big programs that might have an opportunity to pop in the NBA? So I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Cassius Stanley at Duke. Because Cassius Stanley did not get any of the headlines um, this past year. He had a couple of moments. But I don't know if this is a fair comparison. But I'm not saying they're the same player. But I'll be interesting to see if his career path is somewhat similar to Zach Levine. Because Zach Levine came out of UCLA as a high-flyer, big-time athlete. That's what Cassius Stanley comes out. And he's also a really good shooter. Mm -hmm. Um, But he wasn't the headline guy. And yet he's made it, you know, Zach has done that. He's he's, obviously he's got a career in the NBA, but Stanley could do that as well. I mean, obviously Trey Jones and Vernon Carey, they Mm -hmm. got much more uh, name recognition coming out of Duke. But Cassius Stanley is certainly one of those guys that I think, uh, you know, certainly well, it'd be interesting, by the way, this is the first year I can remember that we may not have unlikely, I should say, a Duke or Kentucky player in the lottery. Um, I can't remember the last time that's happened. Yeah. Um, but yet they have NBA talent that will get drafted somewhere, but just not in the lottery. Yeah. I, one player that's really intrigued me, in, and I'm trying to figure out what it is that he did to kind of turn people off, is uh, another colleague of ours, Greg Anthony's son, Cole Anthony, out of North Carolina, had an injury that really impacted his freshman season there. But, you know, when you're the MVP of the McDonald's game, the Jordan Classic, you've kind of been at the forefront of your high school class. A lot of times you look back and that is a a great indicator of who's going to be at the head of their class once they get to the league. Is is there something about Cole Anthony's game that's – not connecting or is there something that he did or showed in his time in North Carolina that made everybody all of a sudden decide, well, maybe he's not this top pure pick. Well, he was very ball dominant on a team that, you know, you could argue, yes, I know they had injuries, but they also underachieved. Mm-hmm. We have to say that they definitely underachieved. You know, it's not normal for them to finish near the bottom of the ACC. Um, but I do think you kind of, you know, in a different way, like James Weissman, uh, you know, we didn't get the full picture and we didn't get a chance to see really what he could do and how much more of an impact he'd have on Carolina if he were healthy the whole time. But, you know, look, if he ends up going late in the lottery and goes to a team that is a playoff team or a potential playoff team, um, that might be a better situation for him rather than being on a team. And I, I, I take the Warriors out of this upper lottery because that's an anomaly for them to be there. You know, they should be back once they're healthy. But if he, I think this is a better situation for him to go to a team that's either playoff or, or on the bubble playoff than a rebuilder so that all the weight is not on his shoulders and see how he handles that blending in the franchise. Yeah. I look at players in the league too, and, and I realize that, you know, for some of these guys who are one and dones, we have to wait a year or two even in the league just to see if their skill set takes or if they've had the work ethic that you're looking for that helps them thrive. And my, one of my favorite players, you talk about the bubble. I was down there watching, you know, to get working and watching the games, obviously. Um, one guy who stuck out to me that we didn't really talk about his rookie year in the league was Gary Trent Jr. 
you know, in terms of making those strides. And I, and I wonder, we often gauge these players in the draft process based on what we've seen. We don't, we don't judge, well, what kind of motor does the guy have? And as you mentioned, what kind of character does the guy have? Does he have the kind of character that's going to allow him to go into this organization and work his tail off to earn his spot? Do is it after all these years you've been doing this, it, it seems like there's no scientific way to gauge the intangibles for, for draft prospects. Is that the, still the, the, the great unknown is just what does a guy have in him that's going to allow him to be successful at this level? Yes. And he's a great example, by the way, Gary Trent Jr. I should have thought of that, of what you were saying of a player at a Duke or Kentucky that um, has blossomed, you know, without, you know, sort of having all the headlines uh, coming out of, uh, out of school. But yeah, look, I mean, we have to credit like the Miami Heat. They've done a great job for the most part of pegging players who fit their narrative Mm -hmm. um, and uh, have really, you know, really excelled in their system. And we'll see. I mean, Jimmy Butler, you know, he may have the best years of his career. I mean, he certainly did this year at Miami. And obviously he fits their culture and their narrative. Uh, and now that's a pickup, not a drafty, but at the same time, for the most part, they have locked in on players like that. The only thing we have when we're evaluating this stuff, Andy, is the, the benefit of time. You get The further you get away from a draft, the better you are able to gauge who was successful, why. Um, there's so many theories that I believe it's the most inexact science in the basketball business, trying to figure out whose skills translate from one level to the next. We're going to play this game next week for NBA TV on the mock draft. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I appreciate all your work uh, as always covering the game and, and, and being that connection from the college world to the NBA world, man. Thanks for the time. Get some sleep. And, and, and be ready to hit the clock now. We're, I'm trying to trying to make sure we hit the clock and nobody gets penalized for running over their time to make picks on the mock draft. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Andy Katcher joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast, getting you ready for this year's NBA draft. Tune in, of course, in the aftermath. We'll have discussions about the draft and the upcoming free agency and the start of this NBA season. For everybody here at the Hangtime Podcast, I'm Sekou Smith. We will see you again next time.